Today's Old Testament reading is taken from Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading is taken from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the toning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins for the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Today we um, want to, of course, welcome everyone who's here again, but also welcome those on Zoom who are listening. And uh, I will continue today this sermon series from the book of 1 John, which is almost at the end of the Bible. It's a very short book of only five chapters. Um, And if you like to study ahead, usually by Monday evening, Tuesday, there is a study guide for the next uh, week's sermon. If you'd like to look at that, just go to the church website and it will help you as you start to think and contemplate about what God has inspired as he put into this book of 1 John, as he uh, spoke to John or inspired John to write. Now, the last weeks we've talked about the first chapter, and the first four verses talk about the idea of the one who was with the Father at the beginning, And that has become the life that has revealed or has shown us or has manifested God himself. The life that was with the Father in the beginning has come to earth. That's what we celebrated at Christmas. And we will celebrate again the great significance of that as we come to Easter. But then he goes on and says, and that very one who was with the Father was eternal life. And he says, and we, you and I, can have fellowship with that one. 
And that fellowship means that eternal life is not just simply a time period that never ends. It is. But it is much more. Eternal life is you and me, we together, us, fellowshipping with God, sharing the very eternal life of God as God forgives us and He cleanses us. And He says that, Just as Jesus prays in John chapter 17, Father, you are in me, and I am in you, and we are in them. The life of God. As Jesus said, I am the light of the world in John chapter 1 verse 12. And he who would follow me will not walk in darkness, but walk in the very light of life. And then in the next six verses, John goes on and explains what it means to walk in that light of life. And he says immediately as that life of God comes into us or begins to shine about our life, we must then begin to deal with certain things which he will identify as some different concepts and ideas about sin. You see, as light comes in, it is God But then God is showing us how our own lives are. And in that, he begins with one statement where he says, and he who says that they would fellowship or they have a relationship with God, and yet they walk in darkness. Do you get the point, what he's saying? If we say we're this, but we actually live here, If we say we know God and we walk in the light, but actually we are consistently often in choosing to walk in darkness, he says, then we are not practicing truth. And God's not in us. But then he goes on and he gives a truth of God which totally balances or gives us insight and direction there when he says, but... If we fellowship with God, if we walk in the light, as God is in the light, then we have relationship with God. And the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. Remember we talked about how the power of the blood of the life of Christ has that capacity, that power, to bring forgiveness of sins into each one of our lives. And then he goes on and he says even more, he says, and if we were going to say, well, I, 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 I have no sin. I'm a good person. I'm not bad. I'm not like one of those evil characters of history. He says, no, no, no. He says, all. You know, he goes on and says, then if we say that, what we've done is we've lied to ourselves and we've chosen to believe that lie. We've lied to ourselves and we've chosen to believe the lie and the truth is not in us. And why does he say that? Well, Paul explains it this way. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, every man, woman, every person who's ever lived on earth, excluding Jesus, who is God, who came in the flesh. Every one of us has sinned. And therefore stand before God as those who are lost. You see, if we say we do not, are not lost, we do not need a Savior. If we believe that fundamentally mankind is good, we don't need a Savior. 
And he, the truth which John then brings to that is in verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, where he says, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he ends that chapter by saying, and if we say, I'm not sinning. In other words, he's saying, if we say, well, I know this isn't right but I'm going to do it anyway. I know that God has said this is wrong and this is sin, but it's not really that bad. Or in 2022, we might say, well, the reality is I know that Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. But if I say, but you know, that's true for those folk. But for me, I have my own truth. No, no, no. And the words he says are incredible. He says, because if we do that, not only do we believe the lie, but we are calling God himself a liar. Because what he's revealed in his word is to us truth. And so, now some of you are sitting there and saying, you just did that in seven minutes. Why did you keep us for two half-hour sermons to say the same thing? Well, that's what's good if you keep coming, you see. Now, then he goes on, and he, so he's talked about what it means to know God and to walk in the light. Now listen to what he says. He's going to kind of review for us some absolute truths about Jesus Christ that each one of us who call ourselves Christian, each one of us who follow God, really need to know. Listen to what he says. It was just read to us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, then listen. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And then he's going to go on, and it depends on your translation. It will say, as this did, as it was read to us, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and some have used the word the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, John is saying, I've written these things that you not sin. But the reality is in life is that we do mess up. Life is complex. Sometimes we know we should do this, and we choose to do the other. We actually do sin, he said, but if we sin, and what often happens when that comes, I deeply appreciated the special song this morning. I think that's what she was writing about as she authored that song. Oh, I sometimes feel I'm not enough. I sometimes sense I'm just a sum of all the things that people talk about me. No, 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 no. You see, what he's saying here is there's coming a time and when we sin, then all of a sudden people or, or our whomever and particularly evil will come to our conscience and say, look, you can't do it anyway. No, you're not good enough. How do you say you're Christian and yet you have this problem? And we tend to, we tend to try to step away to hide from God or not come because everything John has said, I've already explained to you that when one sins, we confess our sins and our sins then are forgiven to us. But then he says this, but here, this is the truth upon which we have confidence 
As the writer of the book of Hebrews says, I say to you, come boldly to the throne of God in a time of need that you might find mercy and grace and help. Why can we do that? Look what he says. He says very simply for them, he says, for Jesus Christ is the advocate with the Father. There's an advocate. That word in the original is put together from two other words. One meaning very, very close. And the other means like a lawyer, someone who truly understands us deeply because he's close. And what he's saying is Jesus, the Son of God, is the one who is our, like a defense lawyer, the one who represents us before God the Father. He is the one. And when you come and say, God, I blew it, I messed up, and how do we have confidence to come? Because Jesus. Remember what they called him? You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. And just the next following verses in Matthew says, and a virgin will give birth And this is the prophecy fulfilled. And she'll give birth to the son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. We read those verses at Christmas. And what John is saying is, I would that you not sin, but if it happens, here is a reason that you have confidence to come to the very presence of God is because Jesus, the son of God, is the one who defends you and who takes our side. In point of Paul's last writings, the book of 2 Timothy, you get to the end of the chapter and as he is summarizing all of his spiritual principles to God or to Timothy, his disciple, and he says, and when I stood before the authorities, this friend had gone and that friend had gone. Actually, he says, Timothy, they had all deserted me. And then the next verse he comes and says, But the Lord, Jesus Christ, He stood with me and His strength came into me. And I preached the message to all the Gentiles. I read that, I understand that as I read it. He said, and God gave me the courage to those who were examining me to preach the truth of Jesus Christ. And John says, at this point when we're questioning, can I come to God? He says, yes, we can. Because of Jesus Christ, who is our advocate. But that's not enough for John. He goes on and says he's our advocate. He's the one who knows us and he represents us. But then he goes and he says in the next few phrase in these verses, he is the one, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And that righteousness, that being right with God, you see, he, that means he is acceptable to God the Father. And so he says, he's the one who defends you, and he's the one whom when God the Father would look upon him, he is totally acceptable. And it's even more, well, what does it mean, his righteousness? Well, I think one of the great things, not only is he approved by God the Father, but In the book of Romans, Paul writes this at the beginning. In verses 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, 
first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And then he goes further and says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And it goes from faith to faith. Actually, there was that phrase in that verse that caused Martin Luther. It touched his soul deeply as he was seeking a true relationship with God. In it, the relationship or the righteousness of God is revealed. What does that mean? Let me read to you a couple other verses that he writes. You know, yeah, let me just read from you from um, these verses. You know, because it says that his righteousness, well, actually, last week I mentioned as an illustration Abraham. And how he was able to count on God. Also in chapter 15, as it talks about that covenant God makes with him, it says there that Abraham, as God said, I am going to bless you, I'm going to do this. It then says in Genesis chapter 15 that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It wasn't that he just had faith, and the more faith you have, the more righteous. No, no. What he did, it says, and he believed God. He believed that what God had said God would do, he believed God. And it isn't because he's a man of that has that much faith, and you and I say we're people who have that much faith. No, it is he believed the truth about God. And that was reckoned to him as righteousness. And actually, in the book of Romans, Paul takes all of chapter 4 to unpack that verse for us. If you want to read something this afternoon, Romans chapter 4. It will fit very well. But then listen, as Paul writes in Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and onward. Let me just read that to you. We, many of you have memorized verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Remember we talked before, before we're here and after we have come to God and have a relationship with Him, we are changed, a new creation. And he says that as he goes through that even more. He says, but therefore, the old has passed and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God through, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself, made us right with Him through Jesus, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, in other that we build our relationships with others right, but we share that truth with others. That is, that Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting on their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, let me read for this. Verse 20, as we just get 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. That's Jesus. You see, what he's saying is, on the cross, all of the sin and all of the guilt that you and I would have had that was upon us, at that moment, as it says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 15, God the Father nailed it to the cross, and it became to our guilt, our things went to Jesus. Yes? That you and I, have the opportunity to come to him and confess and find 
that the guilt has moved from us to Jesus. And we can be forgiven and we can come into the very presence of God. But then listen to what the rest of the verse says. And it goes on and says, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, it's not only that in Christ, remember he said, he's our advocate. And he is the one who stands and represents us before the Father. But he is also his, the righteous one. The righteous one that has taken everything that we have had and has been placed upon him. And he takes it away. He covers it. But then he goes on, and that we might become the righteousness of him. In other words, not only does he take away our sin when we repent, but then he's saying, because he makes us his children, he puts the very righteousness of God in us. And we become what he calls born of God, children of God. And so John is saying, when evil comes and says you are not enough, I must tell you, remember, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus And he's the righteous one that takes away all your sin, but also in whose righteousness you stand. It's a great truth of God. And then John goes on. And he says, not only is he our advocate, the one who defends us and represents us, he says as well, he's our righteousness, the righteous one. But then he goes on and he uses this word which is translated in several, in, in at least two major ways. One is the atoning sacrifice, meaning he covered or he cleansed away the sin. And it can also mean, and is used often to be translated, the propitiation. I remember actually one time sitting in my wife's church in San Diego, and they have a seminary that they put just next door to it. And one of the men who had translated the New International Bible was there. And a person asked him, uh, after he had given a great lesson, asked him, well, when you translated, why in the New International did you choose, in this specific verse, why did you choose atoning sacrifice rather than the word propitiation? And he said, well, propitiation also means satisfying the wrath or judgment. And we thought the other kind of more communicated God is love. And that's very true. But there's also a deep truth here about propitiation. That actually what he's saying is you no longer have to fear. And you no longer have to have the anxiety that God has not dealt with the very guilt that is yours. In Vienna, as you get to John chapter 20, There's this lovely verse where Jesus on the cross after he's told John to take care of his mother and his mother to go into John's home and then he shouts out these words, it is finished. And in it is finished, that word actually in the original means that it has come to an end or it's all been complete. And the third meaning means that the price has been paid. And in Wienerisch they say this, Berechnung ist schon bezahlt. For those of you who don't understand my Wienerish, the bill has been paid. And it's true. You see, he has paid that. Now, why is this important? Well, it goes, takes us back in the Old Testament to the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus, Moses book of two or Moses book uh, three. 
And there it talks about the Day of Atonement. That was the one day annually each year when the sins from the people of Israel was, were dealt with. And the way they did it was a twofold thing. In three minutes. The twofold thing is that they would offer two sacrifices. The first would be a bull. And the high priest would take the blood of that bull into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle it upon the Ark of the Covenant. And actually what is very interesting, if you read historical documents, you'll find that when the high priest went in, they would wrap a cord or a rope around his leg in case he was such a sinner, God was not pleased with him and... He died so they didn't have to go in and face the wrath of God. They could pull the person out. Um, but, and, and actually one person writing in history said it was almost as if the people would sit and watch. Will God accept him? Will God accept him? When he came out, it was almost like a sigh of relief. But then there was a second sacrifice. That was a goat. And the goat, they took the blood of that sacrifice and went in, this time not for the sins of the high priest, but for the sins of all the people. And they would sprinkle the blood on that ark and the covenant, and, and that was the way they would deal. And when they came out, that was a symbol that the sins of the people for that year had been forgiven because they would confess their sins over the head of the goat. And then actually they took a second goat, and they would take him outside the city to the wilderness and they again would confess their sins over the head of the goat and then they would release that goat to go into the wilderness. And the idea about that would be if your son, Johan or Jakob or whoever came and said, hey dad, hey mother, what is that all about that stuff about the goat that they let go? And they said, well son, how far did you see that go? I said, well, I saw him go to the mountain. I saw him go to the hill and then he's gone. And the parent could turn to the child and say, well, that's the way God deals with our sin. It's so far removed, you cannot see it ever again. But the key thing is, the top of that ark, which was a box which contained the manna, the Ten Commandments, and the rod of Aaron, the top of that was specially made. And it had two archangels sitting here, and the top of that was called the very same word that is translated here either as atonement or propitiation. The same word in Hebrew that is used in Greek. And what God says is, when you sprinkle the blood there, I will meet with you. Get the point. And John is saying to us, Jesus who is our advocate, who is our righteousness. He is also our propitiation, or he is our atoning sacrifice, the very place where God Almighty has promised when that blood is sprinkled, I meet with you. Oh my. What God has not promised us, that we might come and find him forgiving, cleansing, and loving us as his children. But then John goes on. And just before I close, may I ask you this question? Do you know today that Jesus is your advocate? Do you know that he is the righteousness, that the sin and guilt is gone on him, and forgiven, and the very righteousness of him is in you? Do you know 
that when you meet God, where the blood has been sprinkled, the very blood of Christ, which John says in chapter 1, and by the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ, we are cleansed from all sin. And then John goes on at the last (coughs) verses here, and he says, here's two tests. And the tests are all about that we can know that we walk with him. And he says the first one is that we know we walk with him when we obey his commandments. He says, if any person says, I walk with God and does not obey his commandments, he says, the truth, again, is not in him. And I don't know about you, but I find obedience and obeying God is not simple. The Bible is full of people like Saul in the Old Testament who had a series of lessons as he be, just before he became king. And each lesson was God as if trying to teach him to learn to obey, learn to obey. And might I say only from this biblical lesson, if God repeats something to you again and again and again, pay attention and learn it quickly. Because in Saul, as he lost his kingship, the only, he had one test, and it was like a test with one question. And the only question was, can you obey? The very thing that God had taught him again and again and again when it came to the major test of life, the same question was there. Or Jonah, who knew the will of God and chose to run. We could spend a sermon on what it means to obey. But may I ask you today, you see what John is saying, if you say you know God and you're choosing consistently not to obey, he said that to him is beyond a yellow light. That is very serious. Because he says that's how we know that we know him. The difference here is to know him is not to just know about him. To know about him is to know he came on Christmas and he died on Good Friday and he rose on Easter. But to know all the facts about him. But he says, do you know him? Have we experienced the reality of God in us? Forgiving us and being in us. And then he goes on and says, and the other, if we know that he is in us, we abide in him. Christ in us and we in him and God in us is that we will walk. We will act as he would have. And I'd suggest you read Matthew chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8. The Sermon on the Mount. It tells us about his values and in closing, Paul encapsulates all of this when he writes again to Timothy in the chapter 1 about verse 12, the second part of that he says, and I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able, and here you can translate it in one of two ways, both being equally right. And I am convinced that he, this Jesus he trusted, is able to keep everything I have committed to him, or you could translate it, everything he has committed to me. Everything I have committed to him, all my sin is on him. Everything he has committed to me, all of his righteousness is mine. And I have faith to believe him. Let's pray. Father, thank you.
for your word that encourages us. That Lord Jesus, you are our advocate. You are the one who knows us and yet takes up our side. You are our righteousness. You are our propitiation or atoning sacrifice. And Lord, that helps us to walk with you. That helps us to know you as you are. And I pray for each person who's here. Pray for myself and all of us that we would truly know you. If there's those here today who only know about you, but in the depth of their heart and soul as they take a millisecond to look inside, all of a sudden they realize they do not know you as Paul is, or John is writing about. May you give them the courage and the faith to open their hearts and lives to you this day. And for each of us, help us to do the same thing, to obey you and to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.